0: Hey, folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we're happy that you're here today. We've got a great guest. Before I get to that, I want to remind you to join Ian and myself for the first ever live recording of Typology at the Balboa Theater in San Diego on March 21st. It's going to be a really fun night. We're going to have some really great guests tickets are on sale now and you can go to typologypodcast.com and grab those. There's also an opportunity for some VIP meet and greet there. So make sure you check that out. We're happy to have you here. We have today with us Jill Phillips, she's a singer, songwriter, and therapist based here in Nashville. She's been immersed in the Enneagram for some time now, so she really has a lot of wisdom around the subject. She is an Enneagram six. We're super excited to have a six on the show. I passed this interview along to my son who is a six last week, and he just told me last night how much it meant to him, so I know you're gonna enjoy this. Hey, that's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And now, here's the host of our show, Ian Cron.
1: Jill Phillips, welcome back to Typology.
2: Thanks, Ian. So glad to be with you.
1: Man, you know, uh, the last time you were on the show was a few years ago. I think that's right. You know, and you are an Enneagram 6, yes. the loyalist or yep. devil's advocate. Uh, some say the trooper, although I hate that one uh, as a signifier. And I know that f- from the time that you were here last mm-hmm. to now, You have done a lot of Enneagram work. I have. You have done a ton of Enneagram work. So I am so excited to hear about what you've learned and Mm -hmm. how the Enneagram has uh, influenced your life in the intervening years. I mean, it's like fantastic. So tell me, first, I want you to tell me what, from your perspective, six is... Hmm. right what it's like to be a six and then what you've learned about the enneagram in the intervening years that's been surprising or helpful or you know sure wonderful
2: what it's like to be a six um you know i can go like micro for a second when you asked me that question i went to like how can i represent all sixes in a way (laughs) that would be for the common good like that's what it's like to be a six I can't think about it just like as myself that that's the that's the rub um I think it is uh, I think it's complicated Uh I think it's a complicated place to be um a lot more complicated than people think Mm. when they hear six Mm -hmm. it comes off very one-dimensional right um so in some ways i've related to a lot of the teachings about a four and why i probably even mistyped myself as a two or a four for a long time it's because i resonated with the how complicated it was to be a six Mm. how complicated it was to um that push and pull of like really wanting to be with people and then going back in my like, oh, that was too much. Okay, now I'm back out being with people. Then, oh, now I'm back. That was too much.
1: Do you think that's the phobic, counterphobic continuum? Is that part of that? or?
2: I don't know. I think it it's a, um, things just cost me a lot. Like being mm. out there costs me a lot, and yet I want it. But I think when you have to show up to everything dealing with sort of a low level of fear and anxiety... Mm. It just takes a lot of energy. Okay,
1: got it, yeah. Does that
2: sort of make sense? Oh, yeah,
1: totally, totally.
2: So I think in some ways I relate to some of what I've been learning about fours, carrying the sadness and kind of having the the shaping that that does of their hearts. I think fear can do the same thing to sixes. Okay. Like I feel like it, it's make, it makes me a very empathetic person um, because I know – I'm not unaware of what just living life costs, hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, so it's a complicated place. But I think what I'm growing in is I really like it. When I first heard about being a six, I did not want to be a six.
1: Yeah. You know, sixes tell me that all the time. I had a six tell me recently, it's so khaki.
0: You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's so
1: beige. <laughs> It doesn't. It just doesn't seem to have like you know fours are kind of special and interesting and all these. But as a six, and then they get really kind of turned off when they hear teachers speculate that there are more sixes than any other type, and they I feel hate less special, that.
2: right? You. I mean,
1: I get it. I right? don't
2: think no. I've. I'm like, this is the skeptic. I'm like, let me see the proof. I don't. Yeah, well, I've seen I mean, zero evidence that there are more sixes in the world than anything else. Total speculation.
1: It is total. I always say that total speculation. You know, when you hear that. Um, but I, why do you think that sixes? And I don't know. I think it's in particular. Like I hear more sixes tell me that, that they're disappointed. They're, they're that that's their number than other types do. Why do you think that is?
2: I think um, maybe we haven't done a good job explaining um, sort of the nuance and texture of of all the different numbers. I don't mm. know. You know, there's this when you have to just sort of give bullet points. Right. Like when I the first book that I read. It said makes a great postal worker,
0: oh,
2: and I was gosh, like, way. "What?" No. Oh, I mean, gosh. and then I was kind of like, "Yeah, I guess I would
0: be."
2: <laughs> <laughs> so that sort of sucked, but it also hurt. I've also heard that about nines. That, well, I've yeah. heard people
1: say that that the um, you know uh, like ones uh, represent this industry or this industry or that you know this number that industry and people say nine's post office you know and i'm always like these are those are stereotypes those are not types
2: yes and so i've heard things like that and then i think you 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 know and this is on me too but there's this image of kind of like nervous nelly that's just like walking around in the world like oh i can't do this and that's not where i live most of the time Mm. so i just felt like that wasn't um it didn't feel true.
1: All right. So take me into the nuance of six and tell me where you live most of the time.
2: I think I live in the both end a lot of the time. I think I live in the both end. It takes a lot of resilience. This is what I see in the sixes that I know to show up constantly and be afraid. Hmm. So I think they're really tough. Hmm. And I think they're really resilient in ways that they don't get credit for. And I think they're also very empathetic people because they know what that costs them.
1: Mm.
2: And so um, they're not into. I don't feel like I'm in denial a lot of the time about pain. I'm like, oh, I yeah, I know what it is to constantly show up and be afraid and then have to do it. So when someone else tells me that, or when I'm sitting with a client in their pain, there's no part of me that just thinks I want to minimize this or I want to deny it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get that.
1: You know, that's so funny because uh, you as a singer-songwriter have had, you know, terrific success. And I've seen you perform at like the Ryman Auditorium in front of thousands of people, multiple times I've seen you perform. And there's no indication of anxiety or or ambivalence about being there or nervousness. Is that because Six is mask anxiety well or is it because you've just done it so much that in that particular milieu you don't have any lack of confidence
2: Hmm. um i think for me again (laughs) this is gonna be frustrating it's both there are times that i am really nervous and i no one would know because i'm really good at um acting like i'm not Hmm. and then there are times that um That I have shown up in my anxiety so much that it's built this confidence and resilience. And I'm not thinking about that at all. Mm. And I'm just feeling really grounded and present and in my body. And it could be either way. But I think what I've learned as a six is, um, or what I've learned over the years as I've done work, is I'm not going to let what's going on internally dictate what I do. Mm. Like, I could show up really nervous. I know how to do that. I can show up not nervous, and I can do that. Does that Absol- make
1: sense? Oh, my gosh, yes. And and you use the word resilience, which I think is so important. Because one of the things that people don't understand, I think, about... <clears throat> One of the complicated things that, that even the Enneagram, for example, can't account for is resilience. Resilience mm-hmm. is something you are born with. Some people are naturally, by virtue of constitution, people who bounce back well. Yeah. You know what I mean? They just bounce back well. Uh, you know, some people have been watch their dog be hit by a car and they bounce back in two weeks. Yeah. Really. And then other people um, literally have to go to trauma work for a year to get overseeing the like the, the resilience sure. between people is so different yeah and and i i also wonder if that seven wing of yours which you mentioned to me before we started also helps mitigate some of that anxiety i think
2: it has to i mean i think i don't know that i could do my job if i didn't have a seven wing for most of my <laughs> life honestly <laughs> Right. Because I do have this very playful, fun side of me. Um, you know, like people on tour, you can you could ask them their own opinion, but I don't think they would experience me on tour as nervous or Right. usually we're like making jokes and laughing and throwing dance parties in the bus and all of that. I'm not sitting around like, oh. But sixes are,
1: that doesn't surprise me because sixes are arguably – the funniest wittiest people on the enneagram.
2: I'm thinking about that panel that we did for typology with the sixes and how hard I laughed. Right. Listening to Francie, Leslie, and Katie. Right. I I like belly laughed that day. Yes. And I was like, "Oh, people right i mean i i laugh when i see them i see katie williams i saw her the other day and i just laugh because she's so funny
1: she is so funny and part of that is is that the anxiety the sixes have because it maybe they can take it they can then exaggerate it they can tell a story and exaggerate the level of anxiety they were experiencing yes right to the point that it's Kind of absurd and hysterically funny. Yes. Right. And that's, Katie does that like nobody's business.
2: I know. I know she does. She does.
1: Man, fantastic. So in the intervening years since we did that panel, Mm -hmm. um, what have you learned about the Enneagram in now your training and now you're a therapist, which you were... I don't even know if you were in training then, were you? I think
2: I was probably in school the last time I talked to you and I've graduated
1: right. since then. So yeah. now you're, a th- there's so many things have happened since you've been on the show. Mm-hmm. Now you're a therapist. Now you're deeply trained in the Enneagram. What have you learned about the Enneagram in these intervening years that has been surprising, wonderful, um, not so great? What, like, and and do you use it with clients? So there's two questions.
2: Sure. I think what I'm interested in right now is how the enneagram connects with other things. Mm. Um, I think your kids said it. Maybe on Annie and I listened to the episode that where you were interviewing your kids. It was like at Christmas time, right. and one of them said, or maybe you said that the longer you sit with the enneagram, the more it just kind of gets to a deeper place. Mm-hmm. You're not like just thinking about it all the time. Right. It's just drop down. Right. So I feel like it's dropped down. I don't think about it all the time. I find myself talking about it less. Um, If a client comes in and wants to talk about the Enneagram and they're interested in that, we talk about it. But I'm always interested in finding where it connects with something else. Mm -hmm. So like in therapy, I'm interested in, wow, how does this overlap with other modalities? Or how does this overlap with um, spiritual work? Mm -hmm. How does this overlap with... um, you know yeah pursuer withdrawer dynamics or how does this overlap with this to me it feels like I want to see how it expands and how it relates to other things we were talking at um, my my boss Steven was teaching the other day on how it's important to constantly kind of be changing from past present and future in therapy and how you don't want to if someone gets real myopic on one you kind of want to zig where they zag and I thought oh isn't that interesting that's past present and future tense and it sort of relates to this and so i think i'm kind of interested in where the true things are all connecting does that make yeah. sense oh
1: yeah i mean that's the, i think what you're describing maybe the word i would give it is integration Right.
2: integration that's a great word for right. it i'm and, interested in integrating it with other things that i'm learning
1: and so we were uh today listening to a podcast annie and i of uh, by jack cornfield who's a buddhist teacher But he's a psychologist um, who happens to be a Buddhist. And and he's a very good teacher, and I love listening to his work. And he was describing one of the personality types in Buddhism. Mm. And it's clearly a nine. It is so clearly a nine, it's crazy. And I see these kinds of overlaps in different traditions or in different things in psychology. And I'm like, well... That just kind of reassures me that it's probably true, right? Right, because it keeps showing up in different places. Yes, but I love it when you know I can think about theology and psychology and the arts and spiritual direction, and oh, look at that! This connects here, and if you collide this idea with that idea, it creates a new idea. And, totally. You know, and then that ex- that's. But if you and so it's a warning to people about the Enneagram. If if all you do with the Enneagram is fixate on it yeah. and not see it in the broader context of life, then you're really going to miss out on some of its depth.
2: Totally. And on the other hand, just try not doing that when you're at the beginning. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> in some ways, it, I just feel very zen about it. I'm just like, oh, okay, it's a process. It's a you know, yep. I can see people fixate on it, and it's like that. You just got to do it. I did it okay.
0: Right. There's a lot of letting
2: go to that, you know. Um, but, you know, I started I'd learning about the Enneagram in 2003. Yeah, So I've had a lot of time to let it sink in.
1: Right. And then when you do, I think it might have been me on the podcast who said that on that Christmas podcast. And, it, and the person who told me this was Richard Rohr, which was, you know, at first the <laughs> the Enneagram is at the forefront of your thinking, right? You see everything is like it's right up here. Yep. And then eventually it's in the back of your mind and you it activates and you access its wisdom in particular moments and then you move on. Yeah. To something else. But you're not always thinking about it. And I think that's when it's most powerful. It's yeah. just in your tool belt. Yep. Periodically you can turn to it and and use it. And I do several times a day, but, and obviously this is my job, so I probably think about it a lot more than other people do because that's my gig. Sure. But I think, like when I walk in a room, I don't type people.
2: Yeah, I Like don't it doesn't either. occur
1: to me to do that.
2: I don't really either. And I think I've noticed even, um, to me, I think what I'm more aware of now, especially if I'm sitting with someone in the room is their energy and maybe think about like what stance they're in Mm. and the only you got
1: to explain stances to people
2: yeah so um ones twos and sixes in the dependent stance meaning um meaning for me what that means is i am always thinking what's expected of me and how can i exceed that Mm -hmm. (laughs) so just feel the weight of that you know right and I'm always out there. I can't mm-hmm. go out and be with people and not be there. Right. That's the only way I know how to explain it. Right. My husband Andy, who's a nine, can go out and be with people, and he doesn't have to be out there. Right. And so it just costs us something different. I
1: feel right. like. So, and he's in the withdrawing. And he's in, stance, in the withdrawing stance. Fours, so that's fours, and fives, and nines. So talk to us about that.
2: Um. Well, I mean, you could talk more about it than I could. But what he tells me and what I've experienced is he can really get what he needs from within himself. He can, he has a very, um, intricate interior world. Yes. And so when he's with people, he can still appear that he's with them, but also be kind of going back and forth, like within himself and be pondering and thinking. And yes. Yes. Removing himself and taking care of himself. And, um, and that I don't really have that same kind of capability when right. I'm with people. I just feel like I'm out there. Right. And my face says, talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why. Yeah. Like I'll be at Coles checking out and right. someone's like, My husband just left me. And it doesn't happen to him. It just and people right. do talk to him and he's right. he's wonderful. And that
1: happens to twos a lot. Yes. I'm not sure with ones, but twos and sixes, that happens a lot where people Feel um, like it's going to be really safe for me to have this conversation with this person.
2: Yeah. And I'm just giving off this energy like I'm out here. I'm out here with you, you right. know? And then um, three sevens and eights are in the aggressive stance or mm-hmm. the assertive stance. Right. They tell me they like better, which I get. Aggressive has a negative connotation and it's not it's like they just move independently of other people. They're not walking in the room. They're not walking into the party. Like we were talking about before and thinking, oh, what are other people thinking of me and what's expected of me or retreating in themselves or thinking, what do I need and how am I going to get there? And they're right. just very different energies. You right. know?
1: Although I would say with threes, they often will walk in a room, wonder what people are thinking of them, and then a and then adapt in order to get what they want.
2: That's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's a good distinction. Yeah,
1: you know, so it is, I think, that way of thinking about in that stance. It's like those people, they see what they want, they just go get it. Yeah. Me, I go inside to get what I need. Yep. As fives and nines tend to do, right? Ones, twos, and sixes are more community-minded people, too. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and they're compliant to what the social setting expects of them. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, which is why you were making that funny comment at the beginning about the common good. You know, like, totally. like I was thinking, okay, I have to speak for all sixes, you know. At, and I have to represent moment. us
2: well. Yeah, right, like, right. What pressure.
1: Yeah, right. And yeah. I'm anxious, right, that I'm not going to do it exactly totally. right, you know. So let's talk about fear for a second or anxiety. How have you learned to manage anxiety? Because sometimes I think like, Five, six, and seven, right, are fear management, anxiety management systems, Hmm. right? Twos, threes, and fours um, are uh, shame management systems. Mm -hmm. And eight, nine, and one are really sort of anger management systems. So how have you learned to manage fear and anxiety in your life?
2: Um, I mean, I think the really basic answer is I have just learned to show up anyway.
1: Mm.
2: You know, I have learned to not let being afraid stop me. Right. And what's interesting in all the anxiety research that I'm reading, like to sit with clients, it's like that is the thing that we're finding is people feel like, oh, I can't do this thing if I'm afraid. My fear has to stop before I do this thing. And I think sixes are... they illustrate that that doesn't have to be the case. So
1: most great therapists I know, and this is is what I was trained to do. Whether people are still trained to do this now, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But we were always trained about that good therapists were non-anxious presences. Mm -hmm. You know, like learning to show up as a non-anxious presence for your client. How does sixes who struggle with anxiety show up as a non-anxious presence for their client?
2: Oh, that's a good question you know what's funny is I'm not saying I don't experience anxiety in the room because I do but um, it is it is usually a good place for me to be to be with other people in their stuff in some ways it's the sense of we're not alone in mm. this stuff and I I really work to try to just detach my stuff. And when you're focusing on someone else in their story, you're not really thinking about your own stuff. Mm. You're kind of just in the moment, right? And I think that is a gift of a sixes. Say they, they're in that present, like I'm a present focused person. So being in the present, I don't find myself wandering a lot to like, oh, what happened before, or what, like being in the present. I think is one of my gifts.
1: Yeah, and <clears throat> and usually sixes have a little bit of ambivalence right because they're both in the present and in the future at the same time
2: oh i don't know about that tell me about that
1: well because a six is um in the present you know uh on one level but in the future worried about what could happen if right so there's there's um sixes oftentimes tell me that they struggle with future tripping Hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, what if my husband leaves me or what if this happens or what? You know what I mean? But they also are in the present. That's part of the ambivalence of six.
2: Yeah, I could see that. Right. That makes sense. So it
1: sounds like you just tap really into, okay, right now I am just here. Yeah. You know, and I'm not thinking about. What I I'll, I'll put that off until later, you know. Yep. If I can just be here in in this particular moment and
2: yeah, know. and I do not do that perfectly for sure, no, but no, it's right. like I try, you know, really, really try to just be present.
1: Right. So I've done this with ones. Okay. Because there are voices, like okay, so we all have inner voices, right? And we all have an inner critic. We were talking about this earlier before we started recording. So, you know, ones have their version of their inner critic. Um, The fours for sure, I think, have the second loudest inner critic. That's my opinion. Um, And sixes usually have a chorus of voices in their head, all offering different opinions as to Mm. what the six should do, let's say about a decision, um, which only creates more anxiety because... They don't trust their own judgment. And all these voices are speaking to them about w- what to do. Yeah, And so one of the things I've told people to do with their voices, I want to see how you respond to this, like as a practical thing for sixes, is to actually sing your uh, fears out loud to the tune of Happy Birthday. <laughs>
2: i'm gonna have to try that i'm not
1: kidding you it works
2: i have to sing happy birthday like 20 times
1: yeah oh i mean totally but you can go i'm afraid that the earth is gonna fall apart and that my children are all not gonna come home from school and the house is gonna burn down before tomorrow And you just do it right and you and i'm telling you you will just start to laugh and that is funny it evaporates and so if you tell a one you know I should have done that earlier. Why was I late to that meeting? You know, it's like they just start laughing at the absurdity of it I'll all. I'll have
2: to try that. Isn't that a fantastic? I'll report back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do you promise?
2: Totally, Because I promise. I'm not
1: kidding you. I think there's a whole like psychological school that could be formed around singing your anxieties, your crazy inner voices. Totally. Because when you externalize them, you realize, oh, wait a minute, they're actually not part of me. Yeah. Like, like I'm not the problem, the problem is the problem.
2: Yes. There's, I think that's something that shifted for me too, is, and maybe that's just through doing a lot of um, therapy and recovery work and, and um, spiritual direction, hmm. and the way that I see God has changed. And so I'm just so much more gentle with myself about my fear now. I'm just so much nicer to myself about yeah. it. I I almost see it as like, of course you're gonna be afraid. That's okay. Yep. You do that thing. That's all right. You're you've gotten through this so many times and God's been faithful so many times and and so I just even the posture that I extend to myself, I don't know that the fear has changed or the battle with fear has changed. I just my attitude towards it has changed.
0: Mm.
1: We recently had uh, Betsy Miller on the show. I need to listen to it. I haven't listened to it, but I heard she's a six. Oh, and a lovely human being. And um, I believe on that show I told her that one of the most meaningful quotes I've read recently was in a book by Houston Smith. Um, And in it, you know, Houston Smith, arguably the most important expert on world religions uh, of the 20th century died at 93 in the last five years. So he taught world religions for 70 years. Wow. He was raised by missionary parents in China, uh, though was no doubt a universalist, self-identified as a Christian. And in this memoir, uh, a person asks him, so after 70 years of teaching world religion, what conclusion have you come to about God and the universe? Now that's amazing, right? Wow. And this 93 year old man just quietly responds, We're in good hands.
2: (laughs) Oh. Wow.
1: I mean, that's so good. That like brings tears to my eyes. Yes. Because to me, that actually sounds like a one sentence summation of the whole Bible.
2: Yeah. In my moments where I, you know, it's a gift. If, in moments where I can believe that, th- that's that's what gets me through. And that, that is what gets me through.
1: Yes, and that's the high side of nine. Wow. All shall be well. All shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. It's dwelling in the peace of God, right? Yeah. We're in good hands. Yeah. And, and I, I was so moved by it. And, um, so I know I, I shared that with, I'm pretty sure I shared it with Betsy. If not, this is the first time and fantastic, but I think that's the message for everybody, right? Yeah. Like we're in good hands, but I think for sixes, that should be like one of those mantras, yeah. you know, like, Hey, we're in good hands and, or I'm in good hands. Yeah. The world could be falling apart. Uh, everything. I'm in good hands. Uh, and, um, I, I don't know. That 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 has been my favorite quote of the year.
2: I love that. I'm gonna remember that. And I know for me as a six, I've had enough moments in my adult life where I've experienced that, mm. and that's where that faith comes in, right? Which is sort of an antidote to my anxiety or my fear. And it's always, always, always been when I didn't see something coming, which is you know any terrible thing that's happened to me, I didn't see coming, right? And the right. things I worried about didn't happen so something happened and i didn't see it coming and yet god was faithful and i got through got me through despite my weakness my fear whatever and like the accumulation of those kind of experiences has ma- has made me a different person mm, a very different person
1: right it's good to be getting older isn't it
2: I've really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really liked it. Like even earlier before the podcast, when I joked, I said the most six-ish thing, which was one day closer to death. We're like one day closer <laughs> to death. When I said it, it didn't scare me. Right. Wow. When I said it, I was like, yeah, further up and further in.
1: That's right. Thank you, Aslan, right? Yeah, it didn't,
2: it didn't feel scary. No, and and
1: I sometimes do look at 22-year-olds, 20 I, mean, I look at my children, 22, 25, and 28, and I love them, and they're doing fantastic. And I think to myself, oh, better you than me. I, You know, I wouldn't want to be in my 20s uh, again. That yeah. was a very messy time. Yeah. Uh, and being in my 50s now, you know, I, I gave someone, um, a young person, some counsel the other day. And it wasn't all that wise. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I was. It, and he said to me, he "Goes, how did you, how did you come up with that?" Because, like, you know, he was impressed with whatever I had said. And I said, "You know, you get to my age, you just know shit."
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know. In spite of myself. You know? In spite of myself. Yeah, you just get to this point in your life,
1: you know shit. <laughs> you know? And and you know, when you didn't know it, you were just banging into everything. And it was just hard. Now you <clears throat> you mentioned the word recovery. And um so it triggered for me the question, are you a person who identifies as someone in recovery? And also, um, I'm fascinated by the overlap. the enneagram and recovery from addictions Mm -hmm. i i I just did a a wonderful day-long workshop at cumberland heights rehab here in nashville great Mm -hmm. great treatment center and uh because i'm fascinated by the overlap of how can the enneagram help people in recovery so Two questions, I guess. Do you self-identify as a person in recovery? And then secondly, um, have you thought about the overlap of the Enneagram and recovery from addictions of all kinds?
2: Mm-hmm. I have. Um, I Again, I want to just say I'm a new therapist. So what I've been doing a lot, thinking about it and just being aware about it. But I've been really interested in the people that have gone before me that have done a lot of this sort of work. And so I've been reading a lot about that. and um you know, people like Pia Melody who do work in right. therapeutic community, but overlapped in the recovery world. And I do identify as someone who's in recovery. Um, you know what that looks like as far as the details. I don't, I don't share, but I have, I do regularly attend a recovery program and have for years. And I just find that to be, uh, it's just been transformative in ways that I can't even begin to describe.
1: So as you know, I have attended a 12 step recovery group for people wrestling with drug and alcohol addiction for years Um, and I oftentimes say I wish everybody could come to these meetings
2: I know well and I think that so when we use the language of recovery what what they talk about at the place that I work where I'm, where I'm a therapist that I love so much is really that just we're all addicted. Yes. <laughs> we're just all addicted and there's a spectrum and there's a continuum to that and it becomes really destructive at certain points. But really, none of us are wired. Like we're all wired to just want to medicate. Nobody wants to sit in their pain. Nobody wants to sit in their stuff. It's just the human condition. Right. And so if you look at it like that, you're just always looking at where am I on this continuum and what am I trying to stay asleep? Where am I trying to stay asleep and where do I need to come awake, become awake? Um, So that's how I think of it. And Mm. when I'm sitting with my clients, I mean, there are people that obviously, um, you know, would, would fall in the category of, of addict, but really it's like, I'm just thinking that in a medicine's for everybody. What's keeping us from being awake? Where do we medicate? Where do we numb out? Where do we try to avoid our pain? And then so much grace. Like, of course you try to avoid your pain. Pain sucks. Right. And if it would, if it worked for you, I would tell you to do it. Yep. Like, if it worked for you to medicate, I would tell you to do it, and it's not going to work for you, and I'm sorry to tell you.
1: So there's two books that I recommend every type read. The first one is a recent book by uh, surprisingly by russell brand
2: oh yeah recovery yes i i like flipped through it yes. at the library and it yes. looked amazing it
1: is amazing because he does approach it with even though he's a recovering heroin addict and alcoholic and food uh addict mm-hmm. and sex addict. I mean this this guy's got a resume when it comes to addictions, right? And but his premise is everybody's an addict. Everybody should be in recovery. And, you know, he then he explores the twelve steps through that lens. Yeah. Okay. The other one, of course, is one I'm sure you've read, which is Gerald May's Addiction and Grace.
2: I actually have not read it yet. Oh Jill. But I hear the most wonderful things about oh. it. It's on my bedside table.
1: Okay, so there is such a seminal work uh, that also comes from the place of everybody's an addict. Yeah. So everybody also has a defense mechanism. Yeah. Sixes have one. Yep. Right? Which yep. is projection.
0: hmm
1: And obviously defense mechanisms are their own ways of avoiding pain, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Can,
1: do you Can you describe for people what projection is like for a six?
2: Man, I... I probably need to think about this more in depth. I think what it's like for me is, um, you know, the way the way I would see it overlapping with uh, with therapeutic work is it looks like sometimes not knowing where I end and where others begin, just mm. sort of the classic definition of codependence, you know, right. and um, sometimes I would just assume that my stuff would be someone else's stuff or the way that I would handle situation is the way this person would handle situation or what I would think is what they are thinking. Right. Um, and I can make up ridiculous stories in my head about what people are thinking.
0: Mm. Um,
2: So, you know, boundaries work and work on identity and all that kind of stuff has been really, really good for me as a Mm. six, not picking up the rope, not picking up other people's stuff and assuming it has to be mine. I get to just go, you know, and and it's hard internally. If someone's disappointed in me, as someone who's constantly asking myself, what's expected of me and how can I exceed that? um, When people are disappointed in me, it messes me up. Or if I perceive someone is disappointed in me. So now it's like, I, I know that it's going to mess me up. I'm going to have the struggle internally. Right. But I just sit with it and I don't have to do anything about it. I don't have to right. respond to it. I just know, man, that person's mad because I said no to that thing. And I used to always say yes.
1: Mm. People
2: don't like when I have good boundaries all the time.
0: Yeah. And I, so I yeah. have to
2: sit with my. Fear and hurt and anger and sadness and loneliness that I'm not going to get rewarded for doing something that might be healthy for me. Right. I don't know if that answers your question. It does.
1: I think, I think another piece of the shadow or of projection for the, the as a defense mechanism for sixes is that oftentimes sixes project their own weaknesses and flaws onto other people and then punish them in the other person does that make sense yeah and and, and while it gives them respite you, you know in some measure of of comfort it also gives all their power away yeah because they don't then have to look at their own stuff and, and change yeah you know they can blame someone else for being the source of the problem
2: yep I I noticed that in myself just the other day honestly I'll be really vulnerable for the sake of um, for it's the sake fish. of the common good. <laughs> 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 oh, I I'm all, I always have to be aware you know and work has taught me this like when I am just sitting with someone and I sort of feel like I loathe them. Because typically I, I really like the people that I meet, honestly and truly. Like, I meet people, and I just sort of assume the best things about them. And um, I laugh with one of my eight friends about it because she said, you meet people, and you love them, and then you have to figure out that you don't like them. She goes, I meet people, and I hate them, and I have to figure out that I do like them.
0: <laughs>
2: <That is brilliant. laughs> and we were just cracking up about that. Um, but I was sitting with a person, and I I was – I really, really had all kind of bad feelings about them going on in my head and heart and body. And that is not a typical experience for me. And so what work has taught me is like, pay attention, this is about you. Right. <laughs> and sure enough, it just triggered a lot of things from my family of origin story. It just triggered a lot of my stuff. And it was about my own insecurities and my own stuff. I was totally putting it on this person. This person was not doing anything wrong right. other than just behaving in a way that I would probably behave. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I'm sure I do it all the time and I'm not even aware of it.
1: Yeah. And that's the sixes way of, um, you know, <clears throat> de- defending against in many ways having to do their own work. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's like a, and a way of, by projecting their weakness onto someone else or, yeah. their, or their shadow onto someone else, they can punish it in someone else. Yep. You know? and, and yep. Which in a way is a little bit like a sexual four will do that too, you know? Um,
2: yeah, that makes sense.
1: So, all right. So here's a question for you. Okay. All right. So we live in this anxious age and... We are now into an election cycle yeah <laughs> okay and I you know we had a couple of years like you know all right so it's been three years you know since we had our last one started up and now the Iowa caucuses just happened yeah and blah 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 blah. And I know that for sixes, like, oh, we always laugh, right? For eights, this is the happiest time of their lives, right? Because they get to argue with everybody about everything. You know what I mean?
2: Oh, I don't know. My eight friends are not happy. They're losing their minds. Right.
1: Well, But there's a kind of energy that they get from the losing of the mind. You, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And But for sixes who have issues around authority figures yeah. and also anxiety, which is everywhere because yeah. the you know the it's like the zeitgeist it's in the air it's everywhere it's like we're all being manipulated by anxiety and fear so can you tell me how you're experiencing that and how it and maybe including some thoughts about your relationship with authority figures because that's sure. a big deal for sixes? And then how are you coping? How should cope? Sixes cope as yeah. we head into this year leading up to another election filled with anxiety?
2: Um this that's such a good question. I'm not even sure where to start, but I what I will tell you, I'm going to throw out this theory and y'all can tell me if you experience this to like be true over time and as more sixes come on the show. But when we are talking about the way sixes get categorized versus the way that I really experience my internal world, I think sometimes fear gets put at the feet of sixes. Like if there's a lot of fear in the world, it must be the sixes. And if there's a lot of fear in the world, it must be there are more sixes in the world than anybody else. And I think in the same way that a four can go into sad, in a way that it doesn't scare them because they're used to sitting with it. That's how I experienced this as a six. I'm just kind of like, oh, oh, now everybody's afraid. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, good.
0: I thought I was alone here. (laughs) Um,
2: It doesn't feel like to me, the people who aren't used to sitting in fear are the ones who seem to be having a harder time. Right. And so I'm not saying that people's division is not hard for me. It is hard for me. Well you but are because you're always been hard person. for me. And it was hard for me in two thousand and twelve <laughs> and it was hard for me in two thousand and it was hard for me, you know. So
1: That's interesting by the way about division. Yeah. Because that would be a very hard feeling for a six to have to feel.
2: Oh, it kills me it really really kills me
1: because you're so community minded you're so like a nine you're very inclusive you care very much about everybody being included yeah um you you, yeah you care about the community being together totally so i mean we're so fractured yeah How, how hard it must be for sixes i mean it's hard for everybody but for sixes yeah and you're observing us now going well welcome to my life yeah, right.
2: I I feel like it feels like I'm constantly in a state where my parents are getting divorced. That's oh. what it feels like. I just feel like, I mean, I was thinking that the other day because I used to love to listen to the radio. I used to love to listen to like NPR and us cooking. It was like very. It was like a liturgy for me. I would right. like cook and right. my kids are coming home and yep. listen to the radio. And now, it just feels like. um I just feel like I'm in a state of prolonged divorce mm. and it's not because I don't have my personal opinions cause I do and I'm really fiery about them. It's not like I'm like, Oh, it's not a big deal. Can't we all just get along? It's not that right. it's just this sense of like, there's just this lack of reason and there's this lack of empathy and there's this lack of, um, awareness of other people and their feelings and s- surely a lack of common good and that drives me bonkers right and i feel um yeah i have to turn the radio off and i used to love knowing what was going on i used I t- to love it
1: i know i tell sixes all time now don't do not have a television playing in the background
2: I talk out loud to it a lot, honestly. That's what happens. You can ask my kids or if Andy um, Andy calls it OT Jill. I can't remember if I told you this before on the podcast. It's Old Testament Jill.
0: And <laughs>
2: he's like, you are the nicest person in the world until you're not. And it comes out on the plane when people are trying to like deplane before it's their turn. I get so mad. I'm just like, and it's not about systems. I don't give two figs about systems. It's like, how can you not think about the person sitting in front of you that they might want to get off? Like, what is your deal? You know, what is it like to just live thinking about yourself? It just makes me so angry. And so that's what I feel like when I'm watching the TV. I'll just start yelling at it or like talking back to it like, ugh. This is crazy. You know, and my kids are like, oh my gosh, mom, just like, what is happening?
1: That is awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting when you're talking about the plane, I was thinking about how important these unconscious motivations are because a one would have the same reaction, but for an entirely different reason.
2: Yeah, I don't care about systems. Or, I don't Or
1: being appropriate. Or, or... being,
2: appro- I mean, I guess I do care about being appropriate as a six, but like... It's really about how could you live in such a way that you don't think about other people?
1: The common good.
2: How could you? Right. I don't even know what that would yep. be like. Yep. I can't even imagine.
1: Man. What's next for you?
2: <laughs> well, I'm going to make a record this mm-hmm. year. I've been writing. Um, I kind of put that on hold while I was in grad school. I just It was just too hard to do it all. Um, and in some ways, it was nice to just kind of let the fields rest And just see what was going to come up. And so the stuff I've been writing now, I really like, and I'm really enjoying that. So I think I'm going to do an album this year, Um, still doing some shows and doing music and talk about integration. Mm. I really like doing a lot of different things. That's what I've learned about myself.
1: Yeah, I call it a portfolio life.
2: I like it. Me and too. I I was surprised. And I think people don't know what to do with that because they're like, oh, you went to grad school and you're seeing clients part time. That must mean you're not going to do music. And I'm like, no, I'm totally going to do music. To me, I find that it's like generative. The creativity is generative. So the more I do this thing and love this thing, the more this grows. And um, so I'm kind of and I'm loving teaching and I'm loving leading retreats. And um, I've been doing speaking at retreats, which I never thought I would be a speaker in one million years. I'm learning. I really like it. Like, that's interesting. So I'm feeling like there's all this new that's coming in the second half of life and all this leaning into risk and taking chances and all the things that as a six are really good for me to do. And it has been so rewarding. I feel the most fulfilled in my life and work that I have in a really long time.
1: Well, hooray for that. Yeah, yeah. Hooray for that. And no one I know better, more deserves to feel that way in the world than you.
2: Thanks, Ian. That's so nice.
1: Yeah. And as always, it's cool to spend time with you. I've had a wonderful week. I had uh, breakfast with your husband Andy yesterday.
2: He loved it.
1: Today I get you on my podcast. Who knows? Maybe I'll see your kids over the weekend. Who knows? Yes. I may get the whole family in.
2: Eighty would love to see Percy, oh, who she God. worships. <gasps> my
1: dog Percy.
2: Yes, come and we'll have a dance party in the kitchen.
1: All right, and Percy would be happy to dance. Yeah. Will you come back again? I love it. Oh man, so would we. Typology listeners, please remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken.